Welcome to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am planning my own unconventional budget micro-wedding in the middle of a pandemic. If you don't feel represented in mainstream wedding media, if you haven't been dreaming about your wedding day since you were six years old, and if you don't want to have an Instagram wedding, then you are in the right place. Welcome back to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. Today's episode is all about drastic ways to save money on your wedding budget. Now, I've done quite a few episodes about budget weddings, how to save money, that sort of thing. So if you're new here, I definitely encourage you to head back. Episode 8, I talked about how to stay on budget. Episodes 16, 17, and 18 were three-part series on how to just cut your budget in half, basically going through all of the different things you could be spending money on for your wedding and how to save money there. Episode 32 is how to talk to your parents about your wedding budget. So if your parents are contributing to your wedding, definitely give that episode a listen and sort of get some tips on how you can talk to them, get on the same page. Episode 49 is how to have your wedding for less than $5,000. And episode 65 is how to not feel guilty about going over budget. And then today, episode 75, we're looking at drastic ways to save money on your wedding budget. And I'm talking drastic, not, oh, I picked the... $300 necklace instead of the $500 necklace or, you know, things like that that'll just sort of cut, uh, you know, a little money here and there. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I'm all for cutting a little bit of money here, here and there, you know, wherever we can save, we should save. And that's what a lot of the previous budget episodes have to do with. But today's um, really speaking drastically. Like if you saw the number $30,000 for the average wedding and wanted to cry because your budget was $3,000, give this one a listen. These are not going to be easy. These are definitely not for the faint of heart. There's some really uh, severe sacrifices and things you'll have to do in order to save money. But if the priority is the budget, then this is what's going to have to happen. So uh, at the end of the day, you know, the priority is that you get married, that you get to spend a beautiful life with your partner, and you can do that no matter what your budget. So let's get dive in to seven drastic ways to save money on your wedding budget. Number one, cut the guest list. So you've probably heard this before. Any sort of wedding budget podcast, magazine, Instagram post will say the easiest way to save money is to cut your guest list. And that is so true. It really does cut down on everything. If you cut the number of people you're inviting, you have to buy less food, less drinks, uh, less chairs. You can put up less decor. Let's say, you know, you go from 10 tables to five tables. All of a sudden that's five less centerpieces, less tablecloths, less napkins, all that sort of thing. You might even be able to go to a smaller venue that's going to save you a lot of money. You don't have to have as many favors. You don't have to print as many invites, buy as many stamps. You get the idea. As soon as you cut your guest list, you really are saving a lot of money. You also get away with not needing certain things. For example, if you have a guest list of 20 versus 200, you probably don't need a cute little sign that says, you know, ceremony this way or bathrooms this way. It'll be pretty obvious. You know, there's 20 people. They'll figure it out. It's probably a pretty small space. They don't need signage telling them where to go. You might not need, you know, maybe professional speakers. Let's say if you were going to play music at your ceremony, if it's only 20 people, you could probably get away with just having like a little Bluetooth speaker that you pick up you know, online for 30 bucks, you probably don't have to go out and rent big professional speakers, you might not even need a DJ or anything like that, you can just have a playlist going, lots of ways that you can really cut um, your budget as soon as you cut your guest list. 
There's also, of course, the benefit to just having fewer guests. It's a more intimate experience. You can actually hang out with your guests, get to talk to them, spend some time with them. I know a lot of people who have the big weddings, you know, one, two, three, four, five hundred 500 people. Uh, they really feel like they didn't get to see anyone. They sort of do like a, a breeze by. They run by the table. Oh, thanks so much for coming. And they, and they run off. Or they feel like all of their time was spent, you know, going from table to table, taking photos with everyone. And they didn't get to do what they actually wanted to do, you know, hang out on the dance floor or whatever it is. But when you just have like 20 people there, you actually have time to have conversations with people, you know, really chat with them and not just a thanks so much for coming and, and run away. That's definitely one of the reasons why my partner and I are having a pretty small wedding. We want to actually be able to talk to all the people who come to our wedding. If you do really want to save money, and I'm assuming you do if you listen are listening to this episode, it's got to be a pretty drastic cut. Of course, you know, every person you cut off your guest list helps. That's one less meal you have to buy. But if you really want to, you know, downsize into that smaller venue, cut a few tables from your list, that sort of thing, you're going to have to make some pretty, pretty severe cuts. So if you're at, you know, 200 people, you might aim to get to 100. I know that's huge. That's cutting your guest list in half. But I think if you really are looking to save money, that's the sort of cut you're going to have to make. You might even want to go all the way down to a micro wedding or an elopement. I've done lots of past episodes on sort of, you know, if you should elope, if an elopement is right for you, how to have a great micro wedding, that sort of thing. Um, That's an awesome way to save money and to have that more intimate experience. Uh, A lot of people joke during the wedding planning process, like, oh, we should just elope. But then, you know, you see all these people who do elope and they have an amazing time. It's a day all about the two of them. They go off to these gorgeous locations. They get to spend all this time, you know, with the photographer. Sometimes they bring a couple friends or family members, loved ones along for the day as well. And it's a really beautiful experience. It's different than the big wedding, you know, with the 100, 200 people, but it's still just as valid, just as beautiful, just as amazing. doesn't mean anything for your marriage, which is the whole point. So that's definitely an option if you want to save some more money. If you're hearing this and you're like, okay, I get it. I got to cut my guest list in half. It's, you know, it's a great way for me to save money, but I still have so many loved ones who I want to be a part of my day. The, you know, good thing that came out of the pandemic is live streams. So many people are live streaming their ceremony or parts of their wedding. I myself have attended three live stream weddings at this point, Um, pros and cons to all of them, I think. But it's a really great way to still involve all of your loved ones in your special day if you decide to really downsize things, do a micro wedding or an elopement. Um, And you can do it so it's just the ceremony. You can have people with you all night long, which might get a bit tedious. You could do it so it's the ceremony plus speeches or plus dances or something like that. Um, and it's a really nice way for other people to still join you without having to, you know, get on a plane and put on a fancy outfit and pay for a hotel. And it's a great way for you to have them there without you having to host them and buy them dinner and all that stuff. So that's a really good compromise. The second drastic way to save money on your wedding would be to wait a year. I know that is a huge, huge sacrifice, especially if you're already engaged and you've started wedding planning or you've been engaged for a while. It can seem um, just like, no, like you just, you know, there's, I'm sure there are people who, as soon as I said, wait a year, you're just adamant, like, that's not going to happen. I'm not doing that. No way. And I get it. It's so difficult when you have been engaged for so long, you know, you just want to get married. You've already started wedding planning. You don't want to be at it for so much longer. Um, and I've talked in previous episodes about, you know, if you are facing this long engagement, this long wedding planning journey, that it's totally okay to take a break. And it's probably actually better for your mental health and your relationship to just press pause on the wedding planning and say, hey, let's revisit this, you know, next year or in a few months or whatever it is. It's also super difficult if, you know, other people in your life are getting married. I know 
know, you know, we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others, but it sucks when you get engaged first or you've been in, you know, with your partner longer and then some friend of yours comes along, gets engaged after you, gets married before you. It can sort of feel like you're falling behind, even though we all know, of course, there's there's no such thing as falling behind. We're not in a race with anyone else, but it can feel that way, especially if you are waiting to move on with your life. Like if you sort of said, hey, after the wedding, that's when we're going to buy a house. That's when we're going to move in together. That's when we're going to start a family. It's when we're going to move abroad, whatever it is. It can feel like, you know, you're just sort of stuck in this in this loop until you finally can get married. So I totally understand. And this is a huge sacrifice. Again, that's why this episode is called drastic ways to cut your wedding budget. This isn't something I would suggest if you know, you're just looking to shave a few hundred, even a few thousand dollars off your wedding. But if you really, really are looking to save some money, uh, the best way to do it is to wait a year that gives you so much more time to save up. You know, you don't have to clear out your savings or take on any debt. I'll get more into the whole debt part of this later. Um, but a year gives you a lot more time to sort of say, hey, every month we're going to put aside $100, $1,000, $10,000, whatever whatever your budget happens to be. And it gives you um, more time to sort of create that wedding fund and make it like a savings goal for your household instead of just, oh, hey, we got engaged two weeks ago. Okay, how much money do you have? How much money do I have? All right, I guess that's the wedding budget. You know, let's ask our parents. This is also actually a really nice way for your parents to be able to put some money aside. Perhaps they do want to contribute, but they're not able to give you, you know, all the finances you need right away. Maybe giving them a year allows them to sort of sort out some things, you know, work more hours at their job, sell a property, invest in gold, whatever, you know, whatever it is your parents have to do. I'm sure they don't mind having more time to get that money together. I think it also really helps you prioritize. When you're waiting a year, um, you kind of get to question some of those things you first thought for your wedding. So for example, you know, I'm, as if you can probably tell from this podcast, pretty neurotic, I like to plan. So I definitely have put together different drafts of my wedding guest list over the years that my partner and I have been together, not engaged, not actually wedding planning, just, you know, for fun on a Friday night, I was like, huh, who would I invite to my wedding? And if I look at those lists from, you know, 2018, 2019, even 2020, those are different lists than the actual guest list we decided to go for in 2021. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, who are the important people in your life and how that changes from year to year. So it's having that extra year sort of gives you time not to, you know, rate your friendships or evaluate or anyone, but just sort of to see, okay, who's really important in my life? Who do I want to be there? It also gives you some time to consider some of the different like wedding trends or different things people think you have to have at your wedding. Maybe if you had to plan, you know, right now you'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to have pompous grass and we have to go to Tulum for our bachelorette party. And um, I have to get like this, you know, I don't know, tiara that I'm going to wear on the wedding day or this really cool bow tie, whatever it is. And then giving yourself a year, you kind of realize, okay, wait a minute, you know, pompous grass, I'm kind of over it. Everyone does it. It's the new, uh, I don't know, burlap and mason jars of 2021. Um, I don't actually care about a tiara. No, that bow tie was kind of ugly. That's not important to me. It just gives you time to really focus on what is important to you and what you and your partner want to prioritize. Another bonus of waiting a year is that you might actually have to wait a year anyways. <laughs> As I've said before, it's a incredibly an incredibly busy wedding season in 2021 and also in 2022 because we've got all the postponed weddings from 2020 plus all the new people who got engaged and are planning their wedding. So there's a good chance if you were getting married at a pretty, you know, popular venue in town on a popular date, they probably don't have availability until 2023 or even later anyways. So that automatically gives you tons of time to save up and plan your wedding. 
Another great thing about waiting a year is that you could actually lock in some of your big vendors with their current pricing. So you could go to your venue and say, hey, yeah, we want to book your date for, you know, 2023 or 2024. Um, and you, you know, you book it now, you say, great, we're going to sign the contract, whatever it is, pay the deposit. And you're only paying 2021 rates because odds are their prices are going to go up. Uh, next year, the year after, the year after that, but you're locking in the current pricing. So that's really great. And I'm sure you could do that with a lot of vendors. And I assume most of them, you know, you can get away with just paying a deposit now. So you don't actually have to pay all of the money and you can pay the rest uh, when you actually get married. The compromise here, if you're like, no, 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 we definitely don't want to wait. You know, we want to get married as soon as possible. We got to get on with our life, whatever your reasoning. You can always get legally married anytime, really. Uh, depending where you are, it's as simple as, you know, getting a license, having someone who can legally marry you, whether that's, you know, running down to the courthouse or getting an officiant or a commissioner, possibly some witnesses, depending on where you live, you might need witnesses. And that's it. So you can really, you know, you can do the whole the whole thing for a couple hundred dollars, maybe for the license and the a uh, person who can legally marry you, you don't have to have the big fancy wedding, the guests, the dress, the, the food, all that stuff. So you can always get legally married, you know, anytime you can grab your partner, run down to the courthouse tomorrow, get legally married, and then have the big party when you can afford it, whether that's in a year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, it's totally up to you. And I think definitely through this pandemic, you know, no one is going to fault you and say, Oh my gosh, why couldn't you wait? Or what do you mean you didn't want to put on a big party? Like this is the um, this is one of the silver linings of the pandemic that you sort of have that permission to run off and, and have that little legal, uh, you know, elopement and actually get married if you don't want to wait to do the legal thing. Number three on drastic ways to save money on your wedding is to change the date. So as I shared earlier, you know, the most expensive and popular times to get married are probably a Saturday in whatever the peak season is in your area. So a Saturday in summer or a Saturday in the fall. Um, I think September or October, like the most popular wedding month. So a Saturday in September is probably going to be a lot more expensive than getting married on a Monday in January. <laughs> Generally, it is the venue that you're going to save the most money on. If you check with your venue, if they have like a rate sheet, they probably have different prices for different days of the week, as well as different times of year. So usually there is, you know, a special price for Friday, Saturday, sometimes even Friday, Saturday, Sunday weddings are at like peak pricing from let's say June to October, and then anything from Monday to Thursday from November through to May is going to be a lot cheaper. So definitely look into that if your venue does have significant cost savings, if you get married in the off season or on a weekday, that's definitely something to consider. You might be able to save some money with other vendors as well, though I know not all vendors offer uh, discounted off-season pricing. Some of them are just like, hey, here's my price for the year. It is what it is. Um, but look into it, right? It's always worth checking, especially with the big vendors like a caterer or something like that, where you could stand to save quite a bit of money. They might be really happy to take on a job on a Wednesday in February <laughs> when they're not making money otherwise. You know, the bonus of it being a less popular date is that you could get married sooner. So if you heard my last tip about waiting a year and you were like, absolutely not, we want to get married in, you know, 2021 or 2022, there's no way we're waiting until 2023 or 24, then going for one of these off-season weeknight or weekday, I guess, dates uh, is a great way to get in there sooner, making sure that things are not booked up and also that your guests aren't booked up and that they're not attending other weddings or birthdays or whatever else people are doing on Saturday nights. Of course, it's going to be a different vibe. If you've always imagined my wedding, you know, is going to be 100 people on the dance floor till two in the morning. 
the, you know, the ceremonies at 11, we have the whole day to take pictures and hang out with our guests. And then we have dinner with our guests. And then we're on the dance floor till, you know, the wee hours. That's probably something that can only happen on a Saturday. If you move your wedding till a Sunday or, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, people have to work the next day. So they're probably not going to want to stay and party with you till one in the morning. If you have your wedding on a work day, there's a good chance people are not going to be able to get off work early, you know, so they've got to work till five, go home, change, you know, set the kids up with a babysitter, walk the dog, then come down to your wedding. So you, if you want, you know, all of your guests to be able to make it, you are going to have to make some accommodations. Maybe if it's a Friday night wedding, you're not able to start things until six or seven. If it's a Sunday wedding, you've got to assume the dance floor is probably not going to be packed much later than 10 because <laughs> people got to get home and get ready for work the next day. There will also be people who probably just can't make it, you know, like they're not able to take time off work if they have to travel into your wedding. So you have to know all those things going into it. And if you do choose a date that is off season or a weekday or a weeknight that there's a good chance that some people are not going to be able to make it. So I think before committing to this date, I would, you know, at least send a text to your like, you know, ride or dies, your people who absolutely have to be there. I'm thinking like parents, wedding party, obviously your fiance, <laughs> making sure that, Hey, if we get married, uh, you know, Tuesday at four o'clock, is that okay? Are you going to be able to take time off work? You know, could you come? What are what are the issues? That sort of thing. And then you can totally lean into it. Like if you happen to be doing a Sunday wedding, why not make it a brunch wedding instead of, you know, a dinner dancing sort of thing? And then, you know, everyone can come to brunch, right? You don't have to go to work till till Monday morning. You can definitely have 1 p.m. brunch, 11 a.m. brunch, whatever it is. Or you can make it like an afternoon tea, which is also kind of earlier in the day. So you can really lean into the vibe if you decide to have your wedding off season. The fourth way to save money on your wedding budget in a drastic fashion would be to have a destination wedding. Now, I know a lot of people think, okay, why would having my wedding in Mexico or Italy be cheaper than having it here in my hometown? And actually, you know, statistically speaking, destination weddings actually do end up to be a lot cheaper than local weddings. Often you're inviting fewer people, or even if you're inviting the same number of people, fewer can come. You expect uh, way more people to say, sorry, we can't get the time off work. We can't afford it. We don't want to fly to wherever you happen to be having your wedding. So that, as we said, from tip number one, smaller guest list, that saves you a ton of money. Often you are booking in, you know, a resort or some sort of a place where they do destination weddings all the time. And it's a package. So it comes with, you know, the venue, the food, the rentals, the decor, all that sort of thing. Usually you are spending less on things like decor and little extras just because, you know, why decorate when you are getting married on the beach? You don't really need much more than, you know, the chairs, maybe an archway or something like that. Also, I think all of the little extras that I, I'm guilty of this too, you know, in the last sort of months or weeks leading up to your wedding, you're like, oh, wait, I want that cute little thing. Oh, we should do this. Oh, we should go and buy that. I saw this thing on Marketplace, you know, this sign or this adorable little confetti holder or, you know, little things like that. If you go on Pinterest and type in like wedding details or like cute wedding extras, you'll see so many things. I think you avoid a lot of those things when it's a destination wedding, because like, are you really going to pack you know, a bunch of glow sticks and streamers and confetti and bubbles and all that sort of thing when you're flying to Switzerland for your wedding? Probably not. You don't know if the resort will allow you to have those things. I think it sort of helps to hold off on some of those extras that you could be spending money on. And of course, you have a built-in honeymoon. So you could head down for your wedding and then just stay an extra week and you don't have to fly anywhere else or, you know, worry about planning a separate honeymoon. 
if you want to do the destination wedding in order to save money, you're definitely going to want to do it somewhere more affordable. So generally speaking, the resorts down in the Caribbean and Mexico and that sort of area will be cheaper than, you know, doing it from scratch in a place that has never had destination weddings before. Um, it's also going to be a lot easier if you have, you know, someone at a resort who is like your liaison, your wedding planner, who's just going to sort of walk you through it and say, hey, here are the packages, you know, pick what you want. Yes, we provide the caterer and the rentals and the space and the hair and makeup and the rooms and all that versus, you know, finding an adorable um, church in Italy that, you know, you have to find a translator to ask if you're allowed to use the space. And then you have to go find a reception space and figure out rentals and figure out hair and makeup and figure out, you know, the million other things that go into wedding planning. But now you're doing it from halfway around the world and in a language you don't speak. Of course, I am assuming you uh, live in North America and don't speak Italian. <laughs> if you are Italian living in Italy, that's probably a lot easier for you, but that would not count as a destination wedding. Um, generally speaking, the resorts in the Caribbean are also cheaper than, say, renting like a ski chalet in Switzerland or something like that, one of the more expensive countries. So definitely opt for something a little bit more packaged, ready-made, probably in the Caribbean, if you do want to save money. Make it intentionally small. So invite a smaller guest list and also assume that a large majority of your guest list is going to say no. Just generally speaking, the RSVP rate uh, the decline rate for destination weddings is higher than for local weddings. It's a lot more work for people to get there. They might not be able to take the time off. They might not be able to afford it. And then you add in all the complications of international travel in this day and age. If you're listening in 2021, uh, parts of the world are opening up. Parts of the world are shutting back down. Uh, we know we've got cases surging all over the place. Um, it's a scary time. So understandably, some people may not want to travel. This might also be a reason why you want to wait a year, as I had suggested in an earlier tip. Um, that might be a good reason to, to hold off and have your destination wedding in like 2023, 2024, give people some more time to get uh, more confident with international travel. But of course, this is a thing where you, you kind of have to accept that no matter when you have it, where you have it, there will be people who are not going to make it. And hopefully that is something you're okay with. Um, make other events really minimal. I think a way that people spend a lot of money on destination weddings is they decide to make it a whole wedding week or a wedding weekend. You know, oh, we're going to have welcome drinks and then we're going to have a boat day. Then we're going to have a barbecue. Then, you know, then it's the wedding. Then the next morning we're doing a brunch. Then we're going out for golf or the spa, you know, whatever it is. And all of that stuff is amazing. And don't get me wrong. I would love to have a wedding weekend or a wedding week and have all these events. It'd be super fun. Um, but it gets it gets costly, right? Especially if you are hosting all of those events. So I think you can definitely downsize, have, you know, maybe one or two other events or really lean into, okay, what is the resort? You know, let's say you're having your wedding at an all-inclusive resort. Okay, awesome. No, you don't have to pay for <laughs> drinks and food and anything anymore, right? So you can say, hey, we're hosting, you know, welcome drinks down by the pool, but really everyone has already paid for their own all-inclusive package. So you're not really hosting anything. You know, maybe you pay a little extra to to reserve the space or to have a couple fancy drinks made or something like that. But really finding affordable ways to still have those other events and, and just downsizing the number of events. I don't think you need to have a week's worth of activities all planned and paid for, having sort of like a welcome event, welcome drinks, whatever it is, and then maybe something the morning after the wedding, a brunch or tea or whatever is, uh, is probably all you need. And of course, the last tip on keeping your destination wedding cheap is to make it your honeymoon. So again, like I said, 
you've already flown to this destination, you're probably already staying at some sort of a resort, uh, there's a good chance the resort is offering you a discount to extend your stay. Usually there's something like, oh, it's a free room for the couple for the wedding night or something like that, some sort of a discount if you decide to book more nights. They'd be very happy to have you. And how awesome to not have to, you know, you get married and you're right away, you're on your honeymoon. You don't have to fly anywhere. You don't have to pack. You don't have to worry about um, finding a dog sitter and returning all your rentals or things like that. You just get to keep enjoying this amazing place where you got married. Super romantic. You know, you can keep walking by the ceremony spot. Maybe some of your friends and family extend their trip too. And that's super fun. Then you get to hang out with, you know, some of your loved ones on the beach. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool. And if you can't tell from how I'm talking about it, a destination wedding was definitely one of the options that my partner and I considered. And, you know, we didn't do it, but I can definitely see us maybe doing a vow renewal in 5, 10, 15 years and definitely doing a destination wedding for that one. All right, tip number five is to cut a big ticket item. So for this, I'm talking big. So not something like, you know, I see a lot of people say, oh, you know, I've decided to throw favors in the effort bucket, uh, which is a bride chilla. Um, shout out if you ever listen to the Bride Chilla podcast. It is no longer current, but I definitely encourage you to go listen to the back catalog. It's amazing. Alicia's hilarious. Um, but not something like that. Not, you know, skipping favors. Okay, maybe that saves you a couple hundred dollars. Oh, we've decided not to do signature cocktails. Okay, but you're still having, you know, a full bar. So that doesn't save you very much. But if you really want to drastically save money, you got to cut something huge. So I'm talking like, you know, you had a $600 cake on your, uh, wish list and you've decided to totally cut the cake you're not doing a cake at all uh, you're just going to use the dessert that the caterer provides you're already paying for this dessert so you know you're not spending any extra money you've now cut the cake maybe you can also let your photographer and videographer go an hour or two early because you don't need them to stick around for the cake so that's a huge savings you could cut the day and just decide hey you know what we're not really interested in having a DJ or a band. We're just going to do a Spotify playlist. You pay, what, $10, $15 for Spotify premium. Um, maybe borrow the speakers that the venue already has, and you're all set there. Perhaps you can get your outfit secondhand, or you can rent it. There are so, 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 so many people who are selling their wedding dresses if you're wearing a dress. So you can definitely head online and look for lots of great secondhand dresses. A lot of them have been worn only once, uh, you know, pristine condition. You can get it dry cleaned. That can be your big expense. Uh, if you're wearing a suit or something similar, there's lots of options to rent those for just, you know, a couple you could probably do it for one, two hundred dollars. So there's lots of ways to save money there versus, you know, the big say us to the dress, fifteen thousand dollar dresses. <laughs> you could totally skip flowers and decor. I know those things really add up, especially if you are doing flowers. You know, everyone gets a bouquet and a boutonniere and centerpieces and an archway and the aisle and all these other things. Flowers can be thousands and thousands of dollars plus all your other decor. But you can really decide that, you know what? Nope. I don't need any of those things. Um, the flowers are just extra. They don't really add anything to the day. And this is coming from someone who loves flowers. <laughs> um, not really necessary. Not something I want to spend thousands of dollars on because I know they're just going to die. You could skip out on the wedding planner or wedding coordinator and just DIY everything yourself. Maybe enlist, uh, you know, your mom or your brother, or your best friend to help out. 
you could skip the cocktail hour. Um, where I'm from, the cocktail hour is actually not really a thing. There's just a huge gap in the day between the ceremony and the reception and guests just fend for themselves. And you know what? We do just fine. <laughs> I've gone to see a movie. I've gone to a bar. I've gone for um, lunch with other guests. It's actually a really fun time to sort of be off the clock, to not really be you know part of the main wedding festivities and just be hanging out with other guests. So you can totally cut the cocktail hour, which cuts all of the expense plus, you know, the venue that you have to hire. You could decide to do a cash bar instead of an open bar. This is a huge cost savings as an open bar can be really, really expensive. Um, of course, there's still, you're still paying something usually for a cash bar. There's, there's some expense that the couple is covering and you definitely want to let your guests know. You don't want to do a cash bar as a surprise, especially in this day and age. No one has cash on them anymore. Um, so definitely let your guests know ahead of time so they can be prepared. You could cut a videographer. Uh, I know this one's kind of controversial. A lot of people uh, say their biggest regret is not having a videographer, but you know, it depends on what is important to you. So you could totally cut your videographer. You could even cut your photographer, though that is a super controversial choice. So maybe just, you know, downgrade with your photographer. Either you have them for fewer hours or you get somebody who's a little less experienced. You could cut out the engagement ring. Uh, I know that's usually not associated with wedding planning costs, but assuming that you and your partner are both contributing to the wedding, even if, you know, only one of you had to pay for the engagement ring, freeing up whatever, however much that costs, thousand, three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars from that person's budget so they can put that towards the wedding, that's huge. So if you decided, hey, you know what, an engagement ring's not that important to us, we're just going to get really simple wedding bands, you know, you can get wedding bands online for really cheap. My partner's wedding band, I think was $30. Um, so you can, yeah, you can get both of you a wedding band online for less than a hundred bucks and skip the whole engagement ring thing, saving you thousands. You could cut any pre-wedding parties. So if you're planning to have, you know, engagement party, bachelor, bachelorette, wedding showers, I know usually the couple doesn't pay for too much of those things, but there are still some expenses, especially uh, if you listen to my previous episode, all about how bachelorette parties are getting out of control. Um, I do think, and I think a lot of people agree that the bride, the groom, whoever should still pay for their share, especially if it's going to be this big elaborate international trip, you should be paying for your own airfare and hotel and, you know, expensive meals and outfits and all that sort of thing. So it really does add up. So by cutting some of those pre-wedding parties, not only are you making life uh, a lot simpler <laughs> for yourself, you're making it a lot cheaper, and you're also making it a lot cheaper and simpler for your loved ones. They no longer have to plan this thing, save up money, all the other drama that goes into those parties. So those are just some ideas of big ticket items that you could cut. And of course, there are sacrifices in all of these. So if you decide to cut a wedding planner or a wedding coordinator, obviously, that means you have to do more work yourself. That might be more stress for you. Um, that might mean something goes wrong, something is missing, you forget about something, uh, you know, just shit hits the fan some way or the other. Uh, it might mean less quality, right? If you decide to go with a cheaper photographer who hasn't um, you know, worked as long as the other person you were looking at. Sure, you save a couple thousand dollars, but maybe your photos aren't as good. Um, if you decide to go with a Spotify playlist instead of a DJ, maybe that's not the vibe you want. Maybe the dance floor is not totally packed uh, all night long because people just aren't really into dancing to your playlist. Uh, if you decide not to do flowers and decor, you're probably not going to have that Pinterest perfect wedding that you've been dreaming of. So it's all, I mean, this whole list, it's all about sacrifices, right? It's all about weighing up what is more important to you. So if at this point in your life, you know, you've decided you do want to have a wedding, but you just don't have the money, then unfortunately you might not be able to 
say, hey, we want the open bar and the videographer and the $10,000 diamond wedding ring and all of these parties and a wedding planner and all of these other things, like you, you have to make sacrifices. You have to sacrifice somewhere. So either you are sacrificing your time, your money, the quality. There's always, that's, that's life, really. <laughs> Not to get too philosophical, but that is life. It is making choices and deciding what matters most to you. Okay, coming in at number six, we have cut the reception. So this is huge. This is very, very drastic. I'm literally telling you to lob off half of your wedding, arguably the the longer half, the bigger half, the, more, the definitely the more expensive half, um, but just don't have a reception. It is uh, wild. Maybe your eyes are bugging out hearing this, but it is going to save you so, so, so much money. And if you drastically need to reduce your wedding budget, this is a big, big way to do it. Because generally speaking, the ceremonies are quite cheap. Uh, usually the venue space is, um, you know, free or cheaper or smaller. You're not there for as long. You don't have to have as much decor. You're not paying for food or drinks or anything like that. So it's a lot, a lot cheaper. Um, you know, you don't have to get tables or chairs or a DJ or anything like that. So just having a ceremony is definitely going to save you some money. If you do decide to do this or go this route, uh, you need to be very, very clear with your guests who are invited and letting them know this is a ceremony only. There is no reception just to sort of manage their expectations. If people are thinking, oh, I'm going to be at this wedding, you know, all day long. And then after a half hour, 45 minute ceremony, uh, you know, they're not told what to do. They might be looking around like, okay, where do we go? Where's the reception? You know, what's next? Uh, So really let them know. Also, um, just sort of as a side note, a lot of people will give you wedding gifts based on sort of the value of your wedding, which I know is like, kind of not nice, but that's it, right? Like a lot of people were taught that you give a wedding gift to cover your your plate, essentially. So to cover your costs for the wedding. So if the couple is treating you to dinner and an open bar at a really fancy venue, then you give, you know, whatever, $150, $200. If it's a smaller wedding, you know, not so fancy, not so expensive, maybe you give 50 or $100. If it's just a ceremony, there is a chance, you know, you might not get gifts at all, um, or people are not going to give you very much, which is, you know, in my opinion, totally fair. You should not be uh, expecting gifts, you're not entitled to any gifts. And it totally makes sense if you know, you're not buying dinner for them, they don't need to be giving you $200 per person or anything like that. That's just a side note, I don't think that is a reason um, to do this or not to do this. I wouldn't be counting on gifts to make up any huge amount of money. It's just, uh, it's, it's just too hard to count on that, right? There are so many people, you have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, if you ever are in these wedding groups on Facebook, you'll see some people who say, oh my gosh, I actually made money on my wedding. You know, we spent $10,000, but we got $15,000 in gifts. And you have other people who say, okay, we spent $10,000 and we got $300 in gifts. Like nobody gave us cash, nobody brought gifts, whatever it is, you never know. So I definitely would not count on gifts to sort of earn your money back. Um, and especially if you're only hosting a ceremony, definitely don't count on those gifts. One of the nice things about doing the ceremony only um, is that now after the pandemic or during the pandemic, we've seen this a lot. A lot of people only had their ceremonies because that's all they were able to do. They were not allowed to have receptions or any sort of gathering. So this is a more acceptable idea, especially if you are planning a wedding in this current time, you know, people are going to kind of understand, oh, okay, I get it. You know, ceremony only for sure. You know, they want to keep things small. They want to stay safe, whatever. Even if your reason is really just, hey, we just want to save money. um, Totally fine. People are a little bit more used to the idea of just having a ceremony. 
If you want to compromise, you can always have an intimate dinner with just the two of you. You can invite your wedding party or maybe your immediate family, you know, keeping it kind of small. And again, this is something we saw a lot during the pandemic. People would have, you know, an outdoor ceremony. Maybe they'd live stream it to everyone, but they'd have, you know, 10, 15 people there. And then they just head out for dinner with like just, you know, just them two or them and their, you know, maid of honor, groomsmen, whoever, them and their parents, something like that. And if it's a small enough group, you know, you can just go to a restaurant. And even if you decide, yeah, we're going to pick up the bill, we're hosting, that's going to be a lot cheaper than having a whole reception where you have to rent a venue and bring in a caterer and chairs and tables and all of that sort of thing. So definitely an option if you're wanting to do something very drastic in order to save money, just totally cut the reception ceremony only with uh, an optional intimate dinner with just your closest loved ones or just you and your new spouse. My seventh and final tip to drastically save on your wedding budget is to get a second job. So this is an option if you don't want to cut anything from your wedding, like you've been listening to all these ideas and you're like, okay, that's, you know, absolutely absurd. I'm not cutting my reception. I'm not cutting all these vendors. I'm not cutting my guest list. So if you're not willing to cut anything, then you need to bring more money in. That's sort of the, you know, <laughs> supply and demand of it all, just the equation, how it's going to work. If you want to spend less, or I guess spend less of what you currently have, you've got to be bringing in more. So of course, this option does not work for everyone. It's a very uh, privileged position to be able to get a second job, to have the time to work a second job, to have the resources and the skill set to, to actually, you know, work a second job. There's a lot of people who are super busy who, you know, maybe already work two or three jobs in order just to support themselves and their family. There's people who are, you know, still in school or taking care of their children or their elderly parents and, you know, can't get a second job or, the economy where they live is, you know, just unemployment rates are super high and they're lucky to have one job or they don't even have one job. So the idea of getting a second one is just, you know, unthinkable. Um, you also have to weigh up if, you know, hey, I am getting the second job. I'm going to bring in a little bit more money. Do I want to put that towards the wedding? Perhaps you have something else that you'd rather put that money towards. You want to pay down some uh, debt. Maybe you have like a car loan, credit card debt, student loans that you'd rather pay off. Um, I would argue that the money might be better used towards those things. Maybe you want to put it towards other big goals, like you're buying a house or you're going to have, uh, you know, start your family. You want to go on a really epic vacation. There's lots of other things besides your wedding that you might want to put this extra income towards. And I think all of those things are valid. Um, in my personal opinion, I would probably prefer to put the money towards those other things, but you know, it, it really matters what's important to you. Um, so some great, you know, wedding side hustles would be a delivery driver, you know, through platforms like Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes, DoorDash, whatever is in your area. Um, a lot of those you can do either with your car or with a bike, with a scooter. I've even had uh, delivery uh, food deliveries dropped off to me through Uber Eats by people just walking. Like that's an option. You can just be a walker. Um, and that always makes me feel really embarrassed because that means I could have easily walked to the restaurant to pick up my own food. <laughs> but that is an option. Obviously, you can also drive for like Uber or Lyft if you've got a car. I know a lot of people do that to make extra money. Um, if you are crafty uh, any sort of way, you could always open up an Etsy shop and sell something you make. Um, even if you're not like physically crafty, there's a lot of uh, things on Etsy that are just like digital downloads. So if you have sort of like a graphic design mind and can put something together on, on Canva, just take a look, you know, take a scroll through Etsy, see if you're inspired to, to create anything. Don't plagiarize, but you know, maybe you see an idea that sort of sparks something for you. 
You can sell things in your home. If you've got, you know, clothes or antiques or items or whatever, you can throw those up on Facebook Marketplace, make a little money. Uh, old school, you can babysit, you can do dog walking, or you can do something a little more official, you know, get a job as a server or a bartender, something like that. Uh, maybe you're a teacher and you can take a job for the summer, you know, working as a bartender or whatever it is, something like that. You get the idea. Lots of little side hustle, second job type things you can do. And if you combine this idea with waiting a year, uh, that'll help you save up even more money because now all of a sudden, not only do you have a year extra to save, you also have this second job bringing in additional income. My only caveat here would be, you know, besides all the privilege there is in, in being able to have a second job is just to not exhaust yourself. Um, I think, you know, weddings are awesome and I understand that sacrifices have to be made in order to have uh, a wedding that you want. But I don't think you want to be working like, you know, 80 hours a week, uh, just totally exhausted, no social life, no time for, you know, hanging out with your partner, actually investing in that relationship, seeing friends and family, showering, um, you know, self-care, things like that. I think all of those things are really important and having that time to rest is really important. So if you can find a way to sort of do this side hustle really on the side, like you do have the extra time, you have the skills, you have the resources, that's awesome. I wouldn't add on, you know, a 40 hour job to your already 40 hour job or anything like that. You don't want to go into your wedding just totally um, spent and exhausted, no energy, totally resentful of the fact that you've had to, you know, work this hard just for this one day thing. I don't think it's a good idea. And that's just, you know, my opinion as someone with sort of a mismatch of jobs, but that's, that's where I stand on the whole thing. All right. So those were the seven ways to drastically save money on your wedding budget. Once again, the seven ways were cut the guest list, wait a year, change the date, opt for a destination wedding, cut a big ticket item, cut the reception, or get a second job. So I just want to end this by saying, of course, at the end of the day, you know, the only thing that really, really, really matters from your wedding is that you marry your person. Like if you and your spouse get married, you know, you signed the paperwork, you did it, you kissed, you said, I do, then congratulations, you did it, you got married. That is the goal of the day. And that's something you can do no matter how much you spend, whether you run down to the courthouse, you know, pay a 100 bucks for your license, or you spend $100,000 and have this elaborate um, wedding weekend where you come in on a parade float or whatever it is. Obviously, the priority should always be on your marriage over your wedding. And I would hate for you to, you know, make sacrifices that affect your relationship. Things like, you know, getting that second job, if that means you never get to see your spouse for a year, or um, going into debt, and, you know, having all this resentment build up, um, that, that's really going to hurt your marriage just in order to have this wedding that's, you know, a little bit nicer, or so you can buy the I don't know, fancy flowers instead of the cheap ones. So really remembering that the priority should always be on your marriage, no matter how much you're spending on your wedding. I will say, you know, just on the debt thing, I really encourage you, please try not to go into debt. And this is coming from a place of extreme privilege in that I don't have any debt, uh, you know, myself, and I, and I don't know what it's like to have to go into debt in order to feed my family, keep a roof over my head. If you are lucky enough to be in that sort of position where, you know, you are not going into debt just for your basic living, I really, really encourage you not to go into debt for your wedding. Please do not take out loans. Please do not put money or put things on your credit card that you can't afford to pay off. It's just a really, um, it's a really horrible way to start your marriage. You don't want to go into your marriage with this huge debt already hanging over your heads. And, you know, from day one, when you're supposed to be combining your finances and, you know, putting your life together and working on these amazing new goals, instead, you're just paying off this debt. Um, 
this whole budget, money, expenses, finances, this is sort of the root of a lot of divorces, right? We hear that money, uh, money issues is sort of the cause a lot of people cite for their divorces. And even if people aren't saying it, you know, straight up, there is a ton of resentment that builds when you and your partner are not on the same page financially, when one person is a spender, the other is a saver. So I think use this opportunity, this I like to think that a lot of wedding planning is actually just like training for your marriage, you know, especially when it comes to the finances. If you and your partner are not on the same page when it comes to money, if you haven't really talked about money, you know, you have no idea how much they make. You don't know how much they save. You don't really discuss big purchases. Um, this is a really great opportunity to start that conversation. And it's definitely something you're going to want to talk about uh, before you get married in your early days of marriage just to make sure you're on the same page. So use this opportunity uh, when you're discussing your wedding budget to to start that conversation to talk about you know how we want to deal with money going forward and to sort of ward against that whole resentment divorce thing that could come up when you disagree on money so those are the seven tips plus a little caveat on not going into debt talking about money with your partner and prioritizing your marriage and i hope that was helpful and i wish you all the best and just before i sign off i do want to say thank you so much uh, for listening to this podcast this is just like a little thing i do for fun in my bedroom when I'm procrastinating doing real work. It's just me and my mic and my dog snoring in the background. Um, it's been so much fun for me to, to do this, to be able to share more about my own wedding planning um, experience and journey, share some tips that I think, I hope are really useful to you. And, you know, I do no promotion for this thing. I don't have any social media accounts or a website or anything like that. Um, it's, it's purely just the podcast and I've been so, so inspired to see how many people are tuning in. I think by the time this goes live, we'll probably have like 15,000 downloads, which I know to some people is like nothing. Um, but to me, that's really huge. That's, that's wild that like 15,000 times my voice has been played into somebody's earbuds or speakers, um, people who don't know me all around the world. I think that's really, really cool. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to spread the word, share this with a friend who's wedding planning, leave a review. That would be really cool. Um, but otherwise, thank you so much and all the best with your wedding planning. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope you found the episode helpful. If you really want to make my day, you can leave me a rating and a review, follow along so you don't miss the next episode, and tell a friend about the show. Remember, you shouldn't be spending your wedding day managing other people's feelings. <laughs>